0: Living in a community of the lonely. I tell you, when, I, when, I, when Steve went through those facts earlier in the earlier service, it, it just really struck me when he talked about how Sting wrote that in the back of a crowded bus. Um, because we think so much more of the uh, Tom Hanks thing there in the movie, The Castaway, that that's where something like that might be written or thought up. Which tells us and shows us as something that we all know, I think, at least I hope you do, and that is that you can be lonely, be very lonely, and be around people. And even though we live in the most populous part of the nation, for the most part, in the Northeast, uh, there's never a shortage of people any time of the day, any, any day of the week. But that doesn't mean you're not lonely at times. And, and that's really what I want to address this morning. And um, I want to start off with a quote that I thought just really kind of nailed this thing down. It comes from a, an actress, uh, Carrie Fisher. She said this, You can't find any closeness in Hollywood because everybody does the fake closeness so well. It's a really good statement. And I would dare say that I don't think that's just limited to Hollywood uh, or any other town or city or part of the country. Uh, All of us probably have experienced that wherever we have lived at any particular time. Uh, People do fake closeness. And uh, as a result of that, sometimes that, that becomes sort of a very weak and poor imitation of what we're talking about, the need here. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you what we're, we're going to talk about, this whole thing of loneliness and rejection and, and isolation and, and, and some things like that. I call it a blue funk. Um, I'll explain that in just a moment. But um, I realize that in a group like this, there will be some of you here that are just, this is going to be right where you're living right now. Okay? Okay? And for some of you, it's going to be something, maybe you need to file kind of in the back burner, as my professor used to say, in the back burner of your brain, for a time when you might experience, we all at different times of our lives, experience that, that time of loneliness and isolation and this, this blue funk type of thing. Now, a word about blue funk, okay? It's my term. Um, I sent it to Steve and for my, when I sent him my outline for my PowerPoint, and he always does the... the PowerPoint stuff, and and immediately got an email back in caps, what's a blue funk? And then I wrote him back and said uh, it was a band in 1965. But um, that was grand, actually. But seriously, that's my word. Um, Somebody told me in the earlier service that they said, you know, I say that all the time. I say I'm in a funk. She says, I never really put a color to it. But for me, indigo might be a better color than blue. So this is a dark blue funk. And what it means is there, there's such a thing as clinical, obviously, clinical depression. And I want to make it very clear. I'm not talking about that. I'm not qualified to uh, diagnose that. And a good psychologist or psychiatrist can and will and oftentimes might even prescribe uh, some, some, some cases something to kind of balance out the chemistry or, or, or some other kinds of things. That's a different deal. There's a need for that, certainly. But what I'm talking about is something that, that's common to all of us just as, as, as human beings, this fallen condition we have, where we just kind of, whether it's been precipitated because you lost a job or, or, or you and your mate had a, had a fuss or, or uh, you know, whether the kids are acting up or lipping off to you for the 100 and 400 and whatever time it is, um, or whatever whether it's precipitated by something like that or whether it's just something else, maybe the sun didn't shine enough or whatever, but you kind of just go into that blue, what I call that, that funk, kind of halfway depressed, kind of halfway feeling lonely, kind of halfway feeling disengaged. That's what we're talking about here. It happens to all, it's just a part of the human condition, unfortunately. And and really, the only people who probably haven't experienced something like that are people who've pretty much shut down. That's not good either, shut down an emotional side of their life or whatever. I want you to see a couple of things, but the first thing I want you to see as we start on this is that... That is not something that is unique to you. That is not something that strong people of faith don't experience. Because it's, it's something that every one of us, wherever we are in our lives, whatever we do, however strong we may be, however mature we may be, whatever our personality might be, whatever sex we are, whatever race we are, anything else, all of us, experience this in some way and what i want to do is try to equip you from the bible on how best to handle i don't have a formula for you i don't have it well next time this happens folks one two three boom you're out of it i wish i could do that boy do i wish i could do that i wish i could do that for myself uh, let alone you but that that's just not the way it works so thoughts to help in these times of loneliness rejection and isolation and this funk dark blue funk i'm going to call it all right you can put in your term, whatever you want to for that. I'm going to just show you three thoughts. They kind of really all lead to one thing. Um, and, uh, and I'll show you that as we as we move through that. The first thing is this. It's a very simple one. It's a very simple thought. It's something that I think we always need to do no matter what. First thing is this. You need to recognize that you're a person of value. You're a person of value. Let's just start right there. Because loneliness and isolation and depression and, and disengagement, disenchantment, all those things... Um, they're part of the human condition, certainly. But also, they happen, and in, they happen in a large sense, in a large sense, because there is somewhere in here where we're feeling a lack of value. Maybe it's because someone called us a name, maybe it's because we got rejected, Maybe it's because we got fired, Maybe it's because the deal didn't come through. Maybe it's because we're going through a, a divorce or went through a divorce 10 years ago that I can't get over. It could be for any number of reasons. I can't, you know, I can't, I could spend all day just listing the reasons. We're not going to do that. I just want to show you this. You're a person of phenomenal value. I think you know this. This is pretty basic. Uh, if you've been, to, certainly have been to Renaissance more than, more than once, you've probably heard this a time or two. So um, it's, it's an important thing to repeat. I want to show you two, two passages from the Bible and then talk about it just for a moment. First passage is uh, from Genesis chapter 1. So God created people in His own image. God patterned them after Himself. Male and female, He created them. God created people in His own image. It's a term. The message, by the way, is... uh, Bible paraphrase puts it that way. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. So God created people in His own image. There's a term for that. We call it the Imago Dei in, in, in Latin. Okay? meaning the image of God, imago, image, day God. And, and we talk about that. That's a very common term, I think, especially in Western civilization. People are created in the image of God. That's what gives people value. That's why, that's why you know, especially in the Western culture, but even in other cultures now as well, but especially in the Western culture, that's why there is a value to life. Likewise, that's why in some cultures there's no value to life because they don't understand that. But many things happen in the name of atrocities and genocides, and and, and it, I there's a lot of reasons for that, and I can't explain. Obviously, I can't explain all of them. But when one understands this imago Dei, this image of God, it gives you a, a certain view of people. That there's that there's a as one uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain said it this way. Um, There's a spark of the divine in each person. And I I, I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about the image of God. And we can get into all kinds of theological issues on that, and we won't. But that's that's what he's talking about way back in Genesis. Now, there's another passage in the Bible that I want you to see. Uh, And I've read this more than once, and it's just one of those great passages of Scripture. I'm going to read it again for you, get you to follow along with me. It comes from the book of Psalms. The psalmist here is is just writing this prayer to God. And look what he says in Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Watch this. This is pretty heavy stuff here. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Talking to God. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I mean, that's some really great, great stuff there. Because what he's telling us is, All of us are very valuable to God. All of us are very important. We have a high priority. We are are of phenomenal value. We have value because God said this. We live in a world, I I, I think it's the United States. I think it's magnified about a hundred times in the Northeast. But we live in a world where our value is often judged upon what we do or even where we went to school or a few other things. Sometimes our income, you know, interesting. Sometimes you hear some of those comments, uh, particularly in the golf course. Oftentimes I'll hear guys talking about, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how things have changed a little, particularly in the Northeast, because uh, there was a time when you could, you, you know, guys sometimes will say things, and, and especially if they're, you know, whatever. And um, sometimes you'll hear things, and well, you know, they'll talk about so and so. He's in the six figures. Of course, around here, if he's in the six figures, he's on the poverty level, you know. Um, <laughs> And not literally for those of you in six figures or less, okay? Um, but it's just, it's just another step higher in the Northeast, certainly, and especially in the New York culture. But so much identity is centered on that type of a thing. Now, is that a bad thing? Well, it, 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 I don't know that it's, that it's a sinful thing, but the problem is it may not always be that way. You know, your identity may be wrapped up in, 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 in your job. Your, a job may get downsized. And you and I have both seen what have happened to some individuals when that happens. And, and their identity wrapped up there. It's, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a pretty picture. Sometimes we see that in marriages that go bust. And one or the other individuals are wrapped up and their whole identity is wrapped up in their mate. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's something else. And then all of a sudden there's a real struggle for identity. And, and the whole issue there is, is, is what are you looking for for value? You now you can be a you can be a young person and be told, well, I don't know, maybe as my generation. Let me ask these young guys down here. Did you guys hear as you were growing up, sticks and stones can break my bones but names Did you guys hear that? Cuz that was a big thing when I was growing. Okay. Well, let me tell you something about that little saying, okay? It's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? <laughs> it is. The person who said sticks and stones can break your bones, good names can ne-, he never was called chubby, you know? Or he was never called uncoordinated. Or he was never called geeky. You know? And you do that with some kids and sometimes, and some of you know this who are adults now, it took you a long time to get over that. Some guys who were called and cut and in college or in high school basketball or, or, or football and being told by a coach, well you're uncoordinated. I've known some guys it's taken them a long time to get over that. And you say, Well that's kind of a yeah, it might have been a careless word, but it stuck with them. You know, So the point here that I want you to see is you are a phenomenal value not because of you know, being good-looking or because you get good grades or because of the college you're going to or went to or because of the money you make or the, the job you have or who you're married to or the fact that you're married or anything else. You have phenomenal value for one simple reason. Because God said you did. And you don't need a better source than that. Because God said you did. Now the only challenge for you and me is to, is to believe that. And to believe that about ourselves. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have those self-doubts. And sometimes when we get into that little funk that I call it. And so forth. There are many opportunities in life. Trust me on this, okay? If you don't, trust me. There are many opportunities in life for you to feel a lack of value or to feel like you're not valued or to feel like you're worthless or to feel like you're stupid or to feel like you're something else. It's kind of a silly thing, but the other night I was invited to uh, play poker with some guys. Ah, You've got to know a little bit about my poker playing skills. Um, I just learned how to play Texas Hold'em. And the only reason I learned how to play that it was because that was just a couple... That was a year, less than a year ago I learned how to play that. I figured anything with Texas can't be that bad. So, so I learned how to play Texas Hold'em, and, 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 and then I watched it on ESPN one night, and I thought, oh... So that was the only thing. I, and, and Charlene came down and caught me watching Texas Hold'em on TV. And she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching him play poker. And she just sort of shook her head and like, this is really sad, Rich. Watching them play poker on TV. Well, I was, I was learning. Anyway, it's kind of fun, actually. But but I, so I learned that, that simple game. But I'm playing with these guys. Is, there's, a, there's a point to the story. Hang on with me just for a minute, okay? So they invite me to play poker. Now, keep in mind, I can't. I hate to say this because I'm being taped, but I, I was not allowed to play with playing cards until I got out of high school, okay? Because in the home that I was raised in and the way that I was raised and so forth, and thank God my parents have long since seen the light, but if, if, if you were to play with playing cards, that would take you places that you shouldn't go. So you catch the drift. So I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I, haven't, I don't have the second nature. You guys know how to play poker, all of you? All of you? That is just absolutely ridiculous. Well, anyway... Um, no, it's good. You guys are well rounded. But so anyway, I, I don't know this much about poker. So I learned this thing about a year ago. And then and I'm playing this poker game. And they played Texas Hold'em first, and I do just fine. I win a little money, you know. And that was great. I love that. And and then it wasn't a lot. Don't get worried. Your pastor's not out here doing this videos. I won, I don't know, fifteen bucks or something. Then they do this other game, and they start saying, "Okay, the dealer names the game." And I say, "Oh, sure, okay, great." You know, and there's like seven guys there, and they're starting these these things. I've never they're playing baseball. And I'm like, baseball? And then they're playing, that was one game. And then they played uh, um, Anaconda. And then they played uh, Shopping. And then they played, and I called it an Ivy League Poker. I said, do I need a slide rule, guys? I mean, what's the deal here? It's just all these weird games. And these guys all just, boom, boom, just like this. Just like second nature. And I felt about that small. And I'm thinking, yeah. And I, so I just, got, I said, I'll go have a good evening. I'll go over here and... Just watch the Yankees. That was Friday night. Well, you know what happened. But anyway, <laughs> pretty bad night all the way around. But, but seriously, for a moment, I'm feeling really stupid. Like I'm the only guy, and I was the only guy in this room that doesn't know how to play poker. Now, is that going to cause me to go into deep blue funk and be depressed? And no, it's not going it, to. I, I, I rebounded very quickly. But my point is this. Little things. Many times in life, little things can set us off and think, well, I have no value. That person told me I looked frumpy or that job that I had I no longer have or I got downsized out or whatever it happens to be. There are many opportunities in life to feel less valued. And if you're dependent on people, on circumstances, on stuff going on around you and your job or whatever it happens to be, you're going to be in big trouble at some point in your life. That's why, let's just go to the source and just say, God says you're a person of value. Phenomenal value. God says that. And leave it with that. Don't get any better. There's no no Supreme Court to, to go to after that. That's it. So that's the first thought. You're a person of phenomenal value. Now... Second thing I want you to think about this, going to kind of put these together. The second thing is you're a person of phenomenal value. The second thing is God's way is relationship. And I worded it that way on purpose. God's way is relationship. And here's the point. God's way is relationship with people and with him. Isolation is a choice. You're going to hear that about five more times or more before I finish here in a few minutes. God's way is relationship, and isolation is a choice. And we were made to live in community. Okay, and I'm going to say it like that. We were made to live in community, and isolation and depression and, and loneliness are often our bent because of the human condition. But God has a better way. That's why God puts such a priority on singular relationship with people, with Him. And, and, and in all this, all this thing, never underestimate the importance of friendship. Never underestimate the importance of, of marriage in, in that regard. Now, let me, let me just stop there for a moment. I'm not saying, and, I, and I'll, if I have to repeat this, I will, I'm not saying that if you're married, you will never feel lonely, because that would be a lie also. Because all of us here who've been married more than 10 days know that. Okay? That you can still get lonesome and still be, and be married. At the same time, there is a value. And being able to have a person in your life, hopefully at least your spouse and maybe more. You know, today, actually, today is our anniversary, Charlie and i's anniversary. Today is our 34th anniversary, this day, October 9th. That's right. Clap for her, clap for her, yeah. Um, trust me, she deserves the applause on this, on this thing. Trust me on that, not me. Um. And you know, and over those years you learn that little dance of, of, of loneliness and you're feeling kind of, you're in, that, you're in that funk, you're in the, yeah, I'm kind of in that funk. And you learn. Some t- in some cases, that marriage you learn you know what to say. In some cases you know to leave each other alone. That's the point. So it, 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 but, but the whole thing of relationship, it's great to have a person or persons, preferably plural, in your life who know you, who are able to help you, who are able to encourage you. And it doesn't mean, come on, let's go. Let's get out of it right now. It used to be my tendency. Oh, you're down? Oh, it's okay. Let's get over it right now. Come on, let's go. It doesn't work that way always. It's a process in this whole thing. And and God put people in our lives to do that. And and it comes through friendship and and obviously marriage and friendship. and, And let me just show you this. I got a couple things I want to show you. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I love his writings. The glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, nor the kindly smile, nor the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes to one when he discovers that someone else believes in him and is willing to trust him. Isn't that good? That's, that's the beauty of this thing. That's where, friend, that's where real friendship really takes place. Someone else is, it, it believes in him and willing to trust him. Have you ever been in a situation where you just were doubting a lot of things and somebody comes along and says, Hey, I believe in you. I still believe in you. Gosh. You're ready to conquer the world at that point. Sometimes it just takes one. Have you ever told someone that? That really needed it? And you really believed it. And you could say it honestly from your heart. C.S. Lewis said this. I used this quote a few, few, several months, about a year or so ago, and I'd I'd, I'd use it. Actually, I like it. Anything C.S. Lewis says Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that give value to survival. Kids, I can't say it any better than that. It's such a great truth. Here's the thing that I want you to see. And I want to say it, and if I'm repeating myself too much, I apologize, but I really want you to see it. God's way is relationship. With people and with Him. You say, well, what is this whole thing here about? Well, this is, this is what we do. And we come and we, hopefully we're here to, to... Some of us are here to worship God. Some of us are here to, to seek after truth. Some of, hopefully all of us are here to seek truth wherever we are in that, in that journey. So is this part of the whole deal? Now, here's, here's, how, here's my view of that whole thing, all right? And, and that is this. Psychology tells us you will only have... You will be able to number on one hand the number of people in your life who you will truly trust and become very, very close to. That may change over your, over your life, but it will only be four or five or six, if you're a really fortunate, number of people who you will really come to trust. Well, one of my goals and one of my hopes being I'm kind of a people person, being kind of a, kind of a, a person who values networking, one of my hopes is that, that you come to church. And, and to me, the, 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 one of the great values of what we call church is people meeting each other. And not just what happens here. And, and trust me, we work really hard at making what happens here meaningful and, and inspiring and, and fun and, and all that. We work really hard at that. But, but hopefully, it's, church just won't stop with that. But it will, it will cause and stimulate other friendships, which will, which will be helpful during the rest of the week. Because if the only thing you get is once a week on Sunday morning, then there's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be a lot of challenges anyway. But that's part of the whole thing. And my view is the reason I like more and more people coming, it gives you more people to choose from, right? You know? So you only have four or five. I only got three or four hundred now you can choose from. That's great. Um, I'm I'm only half kidding with the the numbers thing. It really, that is the value of that though. And and, and my point is this, hopefully that you have someone, hopefully if you're married, one of those is your mate. And then you have one or two or three others like that as well. That's God's way. But of, of all this, let's just take it a step higher or deeper if you will. I believe it has to begin with God. It has to begin with God because God's way is relationship. Let me show you just one passage from Romans chapter 5. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. With God, it's always been about relationship. You know, and people put all kinds of words on that. They talk about, you know, from all walks, all denominations, you know, they talk about getting confirmed into the faith. They talk about, some people talk about getting saved. Some people talk about getting born again. Some people talk about coming to faith. That's normally the term that I would use. Whatever that is, what we're talking about here is a relationship with God. I don't care what words you put on it. I really don't. Um, Certain things I don't use only because of the connotation that it might bring. But what we're talking about is, a relationship with God. Does that make you religious? I don't know. Does that make you a Christian? Well, I don't like that word either because it's a political party in most countries. You know, it is. You go to some countries and say, I'm a Christian, you'll say, well, he's a Democrat, you know, or he's a Republican. it the same thing if you were here. So I don't like that term, particularly if you're dealing with international people. It's a relationship with God. And you use that term, and some people look at you kind of weird and say, well, what, do I, do I really? yeah, man, I talk to God. Does He talk to you? Well, not with an out loud voice, although some people say that's the case, but I haven't had that happen yet. Keep waiting, you know. I've heard some voices, but I don't think they were God, if you know what I mean. Um, God's way is relationship with Him. That's what He's talking about there in Romans. Let me show you something, because this, 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 this next quote, just it's from Tillich, who's a theologian, and he's not one of my favorite theologians, but this is a brilliant thing that he said. And, uh, and Paul Tillich, this just kind of puts it all for us in terms of the loneliness versus solitude. Watch this. Our language has wisely sensed the two sides of being alone. It has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone, and it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Isn't that great? It's the same thing. It's being alone. One's painful, one's glorious. Why? One is because you're so freaking self-absorbed and the other one is because you are talking to God, creator of the world, creator of you. That's solitude. And we all need that solitude, by the way. Wherever we can find it, we all need that solitude. And I'll tell you, Socrates... We're going to take something out of order here, Josh. Socrates put it this way. Beware of the, sol- Beware of the barrenness of, of a busy life. Beware of the, of, the busy- of, the, of the barrenness of a busy life. And that's so true. Socrates said that. Can you believe that? It's not a new thing. So that's it. God's way is one of relationship. This thing, you've already seen the third thing. Isolation is a choice. Isolation is a choice, folks, and that's what I want you to see. I want to, I want to close with this. just a couple thoughts I want to close with, and we'll wrap it up. Um, I want you to understand this. This is so important. This is a personal choice. If you, to, if you want to delve into that blue or indigo funk or whatever that is you want to call it, you want to delve into it, you can do that. That's your choice. If you want to sit there and wallow in your self-pity, you can do that and you want to wallow in your selfishness and think about me and mine and, and how tough life? am, you can do that. Nothing I can do about that. You know? However, God's got a better way. He really does. And it's a relationship with with people and with Him. And again, it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. I can't emphasize that enough. Watch this. Frankel said this, uh, Holocaust survival. I use this quote. Uh, last year, but it's so good. We who, lived in a concentration, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You have a choice. You don't have a choice what happens to you. You don't have a choice what people do to you, what people say about you. But you have a choice with your response. The last, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude. That's just phenomenal. Auschwitz, I think, is where he was. Amazing. We have a choice in many ways. We can refuse to reach out, we can refuse to trust, we can refuse to seek help, we can we can find that sick comfort in wallowing in our own self pity and guilt. Or we can say, I'm not going to be isolated. I am going to reach out. Let me show you this. This is have you ever heard our set? People get in a situation and they're in this this, this blue funk I call it. And you talk to him and you talk to him and, 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 and I had a friend like this one time and just going through this whole thing. It's kind of where I got, this is when I coined the term blue, blue funk. He said, and he was just really going through a tough time. And everything, I mean, his marriage was on the rocks, his business, very successful guy, his business, There were a lot of bad, I mean, it seemed like every little twist that could happen the wrong way had happened. And, and we were on the golf course and, you know, and the guy's like a five handicapper and he, I was beating him which is like ungodly. And, uh, um, I'm an 18. So, um, and he and I finally said, "What is wrong with you?" And he said, "I wake up, I lay down. There is this this thing just keeps going across my mind. Just sort of this little this little black thing keeps going across my mind, you know." And we talked about it, and we talked about it, prayed about it, and he was all better. No, but he was over the next several months. I kept praying about it and talking about it several weeks. I'm not giving you an instant. Anybody that tells you there's an instant deal to this other than a bottle or the right kinds of pills, I don't mean prescription, um, they're, they're lying to you. It's part of the human condition, but it's also part of what happens when one has a relationship with God. That isolation is a choice. We have a God in heaven who says, you are very, very, very valuable to me. And it is my way for you to be in relationship with others and with me. And as you work through that process, God's going to bless you. God's going to do some great things in your life. And that's the good part. Now I'm going to stop. You might even be able to help others in that same type of thing. And that's really when it's good. That's really when it's good. That's the good news in that. But it begins with relationship. I believe with God, and then with others. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this. Lord, we are grateful that we can talk about these issues of life. And Lord, I I, I have to just ask you this, God, because I don't know what each person in this auditorium is going through right now, but you do. And I know, Lord, there are probably some here who can file this in the back of their mind and think about it when the times come that they'll have to deal with some of this kind of stuff. And I pray that we would all do that and be able to have recall when we need it. But, God, I also realize there are probably, uh, I'm sure there are some here right now who are just right in the midst of some of some of this funk, some of this blueness, some of this disengagement and isolation. And, God, I just pray for them right now, whoever they are. They know who they are, and you know who they are. I just ask you, God, to work in their heart and to just begin the begin the wheels turning to bring them back to, to where you want them to be and, and where they need to be. I would just ask you that on their behalf. God, we thank you for Jesus who, who really makes this all possible by his life, by, he, by him coming and living and suffering and dying and going to the tomb and being raised again to give us an ability to have a relationship with you. For some of us, that's where we need to begin. Right now, we can do that. So God, we are so thankful for your grace and your love and your mercy. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.